Hey, welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Matt Simmons. Matt Simmons, as 20-year business veteran, 16-year experience in real estate and investing. He has over $250 million under management and $470 million in total transactions since 2014. Matt has always been seen as a forward-thinking businessman. Sim Capital, the company that he's part of, is one of the fastest-growing privately-held real estate investment companies uh, with a focus on multifamily, but now also on affordable housing in the country. And we're going to talk about a lot about affordable housing, Section 8, and what's coming up in the economy with Matt. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about kind of like Sim Capital, what you do there, and also kind of like, you know, you, I know you do a lot of multifamily and has been kind of like a, a core of, of Sim Capital. And now I think there's been a little bit more of a, of a balance with affordable housing. Yeah. So Sim Capital, we are basically, I guess you could use the the hot term right now, or that's been going on in the last few years, is we're considered what what they call a syndication group, right, or a syndicator. But basically, we're a private equity real estate investment firm. We raise uh, money from from private investors, uh, retail investors, high net worth individuals, as well as some institutional capital. Um, and and up to about a year or so ago, our primary focus has been Class B, Class C multifamily, primarily across the Sun Belt and the Midwest areas of the United States. Um, however, with the pandemic, uh, the slowdown, the rent moratoriums that were put into place, um, leaving us operators kind of holding the bag for, for everyone, we, I specifically was looking for a little bit of a risk hedge against that ever happening again. We know if the government gets away with it once, they're going to do it again at some point or try to anyhow. And so what we looked into is, is where can we find a, a little bit of a risk hedge to guarantee that we would get paid rent on a monthly basis? And really the only asset class that there is that does that is the affordable housing section eight um, uh, asset class. Mm -hmm. Now I have experience with that going all the way back to 2006 when I started acquiring just my own personal properties. And so for me, it felt like a great, uh, just a great offering an additional asset class to add to the company to be able to provide investors with a little bit more of a, of a stable type of investment versus the multifamily that, again, we saw was dependent somewhat on what the government was doing, especially during that pandemic shutdown. Yeah. I know for me, like I, I started in the in a single family rental space and then uh, then I, I moved into the multifamily because I, I was able to get kind of get more value adds. Uh, more bang for your buck. So it was it was great for that perspective, and you kind of capped when you do single family rentals or these kind of flips, you're capped at you know the comps. So right. uh, with with apartment buildings, you don't have that cap as long right. as you get the rent, you get the the net operating income very high, and exactly. then it's in great shape. You're gonna get great value for your building. And yeah. then, I mean, so we had we had five uh, buildings at one point, and then we sold a bunch, and yep. now we're kind of like all the way back to single family rentals. We can't <laughs> affordable, like in terms of acquisition, uh, yeah. uh, you know, multifamily buildings anymore. So what's going on? 
Well, you're you're absolutely right, and and I think a lot of that is 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 just kind of the result of of the market over the last three to five years, especially with the extremely low interest rates. I mean, we you know, you're, if you're looking to buy for us, we were looking to buy multifamily properties. If we went agency debt on those, we were in the three percent you know interest rate range on you know larger agency debt type of of loan products. Mm-hmm. And so what you had is you had this giant influx of of new operators that that saw the opportunity, that saw the growth in multifamily and saw the opportunity to be able to get a really low interest rate um, and come in and acquire properties at that low interest rate that would cash flow. And so you had a bunch more competition, a bunch more people coming into the market. They, they saw all the other syndicators or the people that have been around a little bit longer being successful with it. They saw the opportunity that just drove the valuation of these properties high. Um, and, and up along with the fact that you saw, uh, you know, a fairly strong economy up till about 2020, 2021, where, uh, you know, wages were, were on an increase. Um, uh, unemployment was extremely low. And so you had a lot more uh, growth and rental growth as well. And when, the, when there's rent growth, that just increases the valuation of the property because your NOI is going to go up, right? Which means you're you know, your cap rates are looking good. And so your valuations were high. So you could buy, you could buy a property, a multifamily at a four, 4% cap or four and a half percent compressed cap rate because you're getting 3% interest rates. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the pro, so that to me is what is the biggest uh, driver of why you saw these properties prices really just go through the roof to a yeah. point that was, that was really unsustainable and unsellable now. Right, because you have these. Yeah, exactly. You have these, you have these sellers now, where and we're in, we're in interest rate range between you know, if you go agency debt, you're still five and a half to six percent maybe, but yeah. if you do bridge, you're seven to ten percent, right? Yeah. yeah. And now these people that went in and if they did a bridge loan to purchase those properties, figuring that they were going to add the value and then refinance out of them. Now they're finding they can't they can't cash flow on their refi because their interest rates double than what it was. Yep. So, but you have these sellers that are still wanting. You know, anyone that's looking to sell their property in their multifamily right now, they still think it's eighteen months ago, and they're they're trying to sell at a four four and a half percent cap rate, even a five percent compressed cap rate. But the property doesn't cash flow and it's not profitable because of where interest rates are. So you're you're starting to see you know so. For the past, I'm going to say 12 months, you had a, un, a lot of unrealistic sellers yeah. that you know were, were trying to get top dollar, but there was no way that they could. I see that starting to shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see what, what I think is going to happen. And this is what I keep telling everyone is up until, I don't know, well, really up until now, you're dealing with sellers that want to sell their, their multifamily, right? We're just waiting until those sellers turn into have to sells because it's coming with interest rates and their loans resetting and I'm having the refi out of them. That time is coming. Yeah. And the other thing too that I'm seeing uh, on the market, I mean, I talk a lot about millennials. I I like to follow some of these big, uh, large cohort. I learned Mm -hmm. with uh, the the boomer group, you know, if you can predict what they're going to do next, then yeah, yeah. you know you can you can capitalize on that yeah. uh, and millennials right now are the biggest cohort in the population they're bigger than the boomers yeah. so i think 
and we know what the path is. I mean, uh, if you haven't uh, if you haven't read like Boom Bust and Echo with uh, from uh, Harry Dent, he was yeah, talking yeah. all about the boomers. But the patterns are the same right now with with the millennials. So yeah. they're in the family formation stage right now. They want to move yeah. out of their parental home. If they right. live in an apartment, they want to move out with their partners, their girlfriend, yeah. boyfriend, or whatever, and they want to have a house. Uh, so they can raise kids and stuff like that and have the dogs run in the back backyard yep. and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I see a that, lot a decrease in demand for tenants for the multifamily. I don't disagree with you. In fact, and, and I think the pandemic showed us a lot of that. And I think that's what drove yeah. uh, a lot of the single family home price points through the roof, too, is because people realized, OK, if the government's going to overstep and lock us down, we can't even leave our apartment. We got nothing to do. Yeah. We want to move out of the city centers or out of these 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 dense locations more to the suburbs where they can get a single family home for less a month than what they're paying in rent. They can have the land. They can go outside. They can they can enjoy time with their dogs. They can enjoy time with their kids in the backyard, whatever it is. And so that way they're not so controlled and, and have nothing to do. And so that's why, um, you know, one of the reasons why I think you saw a mass exodus from city centers, especially during 2020 and 2021 during the pandemic and what drove these home prices really, I mean, through the roof. I mean, yeah. I mean, you saw, you, you know, single family homes in, in a good area, you know, that, that had, a, you know, even a half acre lot or a quarter acre lot. I mean, there was 12, 15 offers on it within 24 hours of yeah. it hitting the market. And it was just driving these prices through the roof. Yeah. Yeah, I know in Memphis, like we, uh, we have apartment buildings there. And then we would have like for an apartment, a showing would have one or two people right. we put a single family uh, rental on the market and we would have like 40, 50 people actually okay. want to uh, like see the property. And, yeah. you know, and then we would have like 10 or 20 applica applicants. And yeah, I 100% agree. Yeah. And, 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 and again, that, that goes to them wanting to, you know, looking to build a family, looking to have a little bit more space. No. Um, and I, and again, I think it's going to drive down that demand for for rental, you know, for for apartments, for rent, you know, a, a apartment rentals. Yeah. I still see I still see rental demand increasing, but I think a lot of that is moving over into the single family home space. Yeah, I think there's going to be a little bit of a shift because you still have some people like the boom, uh, you know, the millennials. It's kind of like a, you know, this is an age range, obviously. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so you have people that, you know, they're still at their first step, which is, um, you know, to get out of the family, the parental home into an apartment. Right. But right. then you also have on the other end of the spectrum, people that are having kids right now, or they have right, right now, they married and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's, it's a spectrum. And then, right. uh, so I think there's still going to be some increase in some rent. But I think in general, the trend is going to be much more towards the single family rentals and the this is where I'm you know, kind of heavy on that for sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same thing with us. I mean, our focus is on those single family rentals specifically for the affordable housing. I mean, we're looking to build that portfolio to about a thousand doors or so, um, you know, over the next, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months. Um, you know, we're sitting at about four, just shy of 400 right now in that portfolio. Um, and so we're buying heavy, you know, we're raising yeah. money heavily for that portfolio. We're buying heavy for it. We got the process, you know, dialed in, we can place a tenant, um pending you know the hud inspection timeline but we can typically place a tenant and get cash flowing 
tar we target about 30 days yeah. um you know from the from the day that we close so it allows us to get to get up and running pretty quickly yeah and that's the thing too like a lot of people want to have the multifamily because it's easier to get into right you have to be economies of scale right yeah yeah you have one property one property manager <laughs> they manage the whole thing right. now if i have like a 40 unit or 50 unit uh apartment building now i want to instead i want to replace that with 40 or 50 single family home it's a lot more challenging and it is it's a lot, lot more challenging there's a lot more work that goes into it but it's also you know a lot of it is just kind of like a rinse and repeat type of process right once you kind of got it dialed in you know pretty much everything you need to do and now you're still going to have little things that are anomalies that pop up on every single little property that's you know that you can't expect or or account for but for the most part it's still a you know kind of a rinse and repeat type of process you're just doing a lot more often because they're individual properties that you think yeah. are in that that apartment with yeah and i think to me like if you're starting in real estate uh real estate investing to me that's the ideal place to start because you can ramp up you don't right. have to go and get like a 30 or 40 unit apartment building you know you I find agree. the right market and you buy single family rentals yeah. And, and, you know, where I'm at with apartments or multifamily is unless you can get yourself into a larger one, yeah. uh, you know, even starting off with a 10 unit or 12 yeah. unit, it doesn't really make sense to buy a, a duplex or a triplex or a quadplex because yeah. what you're going to cash flow on that, you can cash flow on a single family home the same amount, especially if you're going section eight or, or affordable housing route yeah. and, and it's less work than, than a three unit or a four unit. Yeah. But so if you're going to do it in multifamily, you got to go with a little bit larger property. The problem is if you don't have any experience in real estate, you're getting in way over your head from the start mm -hmm. and you can find yourself into a, in a lot of trouble, specifically on the property management side, right? Because you don't know how to place tenants. You don't know how to manage tenants. You don't know how to manage turnover. You don't yeah. know how to manage expenses. Um, and so there's a lot, a lot of factors that go into play that if you don't have any experience, most of the time you're going to find yourself learning the hard way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, how do you select your your markets for your affordable housing? So we have a really tight buy box. So for us, we look at what our buy box is. So our buy box is between eighty five thousand to one hundred five thousand uh, dollars purchase price on a single family home. We only buy single family homes for that portfolio. Right. Um, they either need to be in really good condition and move in ready, or just renovated. We prefer ones that are just okay. renovated. Okay. Um, and then we have to be able to, to, you know, fair market rents from the housing authority for a three bedroom need to be about 1300 to 1350 minimum for us to, to look into that market. Okay. So, so for, so we're combining those two, we're able to kind of pinpoint good markets for us, um, that, that we want to buy in. And so we're really heavy in like Cleveland because Cleveland's yeah. a really good market for that. We have a great relationship with a rehabber there actually who buys, you know, between 10 and 20 properties every single month for us, renovates yeah. them and provides them turnkey to us. Yeah. Um, Detroit's another that's, market. That's weird. I mean, it's not, it's not us. <laughs> well, here's the thing. <laughs> we'll have this conversation. You, where are you guys based out of? Uh, we're, I'm in Fort Lauderdale, but I mean, we do oh, okay. Cleveland, St. Louis, Detroit. Yeah. Well, we should talk about we should talk about Cleveland for sure. Detroit's another market for us as well. Yeah. Memphis is actually a new market for us that we're moving into as well. Okay. Uh, 
and um, and we actually have a we have a satellite office in uh, on Las Ol off of Las Olas in Dallas. Oh, okay, that's where I am. So yeah. okay, yeah. Um, so that's ironic, but uh, yeah, we should definitely talk because if we can, we're looking to build more of those types of relationships so that we can have you know steady units every single month for us that we can acquire once they're done being renovated and just immediately place a tenant, get the inspection scheduled, and be cash flowing. Mm -hmm. Oh, excellent. So uh, any other kind of criteria in terms of the market, like the macroeconomics, are you looking for anything like, or you can be in any market? I know for me, like I'm looking for landlord friendly states. Okay. I'm looking for uh, kind of like a sustainable growth, low unemployment, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we definitely like to to focus on landlord friendly states for sure. I mean, there's definitely some states we absolutely won't entertain. New York is definitely one of them. Um, New Jersey is yeah. another. California, California. obviously. No? Well, no, no, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even mention that state to me. Um, yeah. But but yeah, so landlord friendly states. <clears throat> um, obviously, with that demographic or that asset class. You're going to be in areas that definitely have a little bit lower income demographic. Yeah. Um, but even then, uh, we don't mind that so much. We do still look at crime because, yeah. you know, like take Detroit and Cleveland, for example. If you go on one side of the town, the crime is absolutely horrible. But if you just go a little bit west, you're good. Yeah. Um, so, so we do focus a lot on, on crime statistics in, in, yeah. in the areas that we look to move into. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people that I talk to, they're just like, oh, yeah, there's a high crime in Detroit and stuff like that, or a high crime in Memphis or Cleveland and stuff like that. High crime but, Yeah, at the city level, <laughs> if you compare to your little town, yeah, maybe the crime is a little bit higher, but right. the crime, you have to kind of look at it at the neighborhood level. You can't look yeah. at it at the at the city level. Yeah, they're looking at it at the macro level, right? And you have to get down to the micro level when you're looking at that stuff. Because yeah. I mean, even where I, even in Fort Lauderdale, right? Let's take Fort Lauderdale, for example. Yeah. You go west a little bit, west of 95 in the certain areas, especially like yeah. up in the Pompano um, yeah. area. I mean, you find yourself in a really high crime area. Yeah. Um, you know, but if you just go east just a little bit, yeah. there's no issues whatsoever. So, I mean, it's the same thing. It's a, it's a micro level that you have to look at everything. And again, yeah, people be like, oh, Detroit has high crime, Cleveland has high crime. That may be the case, but that's also where we can purchase these properties, place a tenant that we know we're going to get paid on every single month and cash flow what we can yeah. cash flow. You can't yeah. do that in Fort Lauderdale. You yeah. can't do that in Tampa. You yeah. can't do that in Miami. You know, so you have to look at those markets that allow you to 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 meet your criteria in yeah, Detroit, Detroit is a great market for that yeah. for, for that reason because a lot of people are shying away from that because oh you know this is high crime right. or it's uh you know it's too reliant on the auto industry and blah 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 and then it's gonna crash or whatever the economy is bad blah, blah, blah. Right. so but you know but we go in there and we find the right neighborhood that are up and coming that Yep. You know, we like in Hazel Park, East Point, Gross Point, and all that. And it's, these are great, uh, great markets. They Just are in Detroit, you know, but uh, yeah, so we buy that a lot. And you look at those cities, Memphis is another one. It's had, they've had a huge resurgence since the 2008 crash. You know what I mean? And in that 2008 crash, it was, it's, it was a once in a lifetime type of thing. Right. You don't see those types. And it was led by the speculative debt, you know, and, and, and speculation and subprime debt. That's not what we're seeing now. It's not what, what's going to happen. And I've been saying it for the last 12 months. We're going to have a soft landing. We're not going to see this massive decline in real estate values. Oh. 
And, and everyone wants to argue with me. And I'm like, you can argue with me all you want, but it's going to prove it. And we're seeing that already. Everyone now is starting to come back around and say, oh, we're going to have a soft landing. We're not going to have a massive, you know, horrible, you know, recession like we had in 2008. I'm like, well, I've been saying the same thing for 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Yeah, I, think, I just published uh, another video on uh, on my YouTube channel about that. Like, will the real yeah. crash in 2023? And I still don't see that happening. I I see an increase in real estate, uh, yeah. not if, not every market. You know, obviously yeah. you have some markets like you know Austin, like you're going uh, Phoenix, where right. there was like so many so much speculation, so many investors. Right. And now they're trying to dump, or they were trying like last year, they were just trying to dump whatever they. Yep. A massive price reduction. I mean, yep. in Phoenix, I think there was like 60% of the houses were owned by uh, uh, by investors. By it's investors. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. So, and, 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 as and an he, investor, I mean, you know, like I, I, I right. want out. I don't care if I lose $10,000. I want out. Right. If you live in the house, you say, well, I'm going to wait. Right. Know, exactly. Yeah, and, and so to, to that a little bit more, again, it's talking about, you know, everyone looks at it as a, on a macro level, right? But you really, yeah. I mean, real estate's location-based, location right? It's so, you know, what happens here is completely different than what's going to happen 50 miles from here, right? Or even 25 miles from here. It's really market-driven. I mean, I, I, see, I see the decline in some of the high price market. People can work from home now. So right. why am I living in, uh, you know, downtown San Francisco right. with, three other roommates <laughs> I can have my house in Cleveland or, or a right. park near Detroit, you know, like why am right. I doing this? Right. And you saw, again, going back to the pandemic, you saw a lot of that, a lot of that happening. You had, yeah. you saw a lot of those people leaving those big overpriced cities, moving to other States. You saw it, you know, Cal uh, from California, everyone was migrating to Phoenix or to Texas. Right. You yeah. saw it in the Northeast. You saw people even from my hometown, Pittsburgh, right. Or New York, or New Jersey or Ohio migrating down to Florida, right? Yeah. They wanted to get out of, you know, those 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 states that that had too much oversight, you know, high priced, yeah. um, not, you know, not friendly states into states that are going to give them more bang for their buck. Um, you know, they're going to be able to get more property for what they're spending. They can get out of the unit that they're renting and actually buy something for less, less on a monthly basis. Yeah. Um, which again drove some of the some of the price points up, obviously. Yeah. But you know, going back to what we were originally talking about, I just don't see a big crash happening because again, the market was the market was driven by supply and demand. No, you know, it, 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 it's supply and demand that led to this massive price increase. It wasn't speculation and subprime debt that 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 brought in a ton of buyers. You know, yeah, and and it was really only the demand that was shifting dramatically, right? The demand was like super high, drove the price high, and then right. the supply was kind of okay. And then right. the demand dropped, and then right. some markets, and then all of a sudden, you know, there was like in Austin and, you know, yeah. Anderson, Nevada too, like the right. price was dropped because the demand dropped. Right. Um, and then that affected the supply a little bit, but... But yeah, what you still see a I'm not seeing is an increase like 2008. What we had was a surge of supply oh, and of inventory. Yeah, not seeing that. Yeah. And you're not, not seeing that because because here's the thing: if you look at the amount of equity people have, take out those investor-driven markets. Yeah. Right, we're not talking about Phoenix. We're not talking about Austin. Um, we're not talking about Henderson or, or or Vegas. But primarily, as a whole, the market across the country, people's equity in their homes. Mm -hmm. went 
sky high, right? So they had a large amount of equity. And so they're not having to draw, you know, fire sale their property or put it on the market if they have to sell it, first of all. They can put it on the market, sell it, get out of it, put some money in their pocket, move on. But when that demand dropped due to interest rates, yeah. the, the inventory dropped too because those same sellers are yeah. not wanting to put their house on the market, sell it when they when they have a three three and a half percent interest rate, and then have to go find something to replace that at a six and a half percent interest rate. Yeah, that's right. Paying paying the same amount of money they are now monthly for a much smaller house. Yeah. They're just sticking it out. So the, that inventory isn't hitting the market. The foreclosures are not, you know, through the roof and hitting the market. Short sales surely aren't hitting the market because of the, the amount of equity. Yeah. So you don't have this fire sale and dumping of inventory yeah. like you had in 2008. And I think the last year, the Q3 and Q4 of last year, we had like a, an interest rate shock. And people yeah. said, oh, my God, the interest rate is up to 6% or 5%. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> And it was just like, I'm looking back, you know, I have a little bit of experience. And then it was right. just, yeah, that's, that's nothing. I mean, that's 10%, normal. 9%, 8%. I mean, that's, that's all good. I mean, the first house I bought, like uh, my home, like we were like at 18% interest. Right. And I, so I thought it was fine at that time. I agree. But it's, it's that short-term memory syndrome. People yeah, yeah. They saw the 3% interest rates that you could get for a couple months. Yeah during 21 and, and end of 20 and they're like well this is how rates should be all the time meanwhile the average rate if you look over the last 30 years the actual average rate is between five and a half to six percent well yeah i think the the, the last like the, i think the 30 or 40 year average is 7.2 percent or something 7.15 percent yeah. so that's right. uh, you know and we're below that right now right uh, so exactly. That's fine. And I think that's what I'm going to see. I think what's going to happen this year is that I don't hear that complaint as much anymore. About oh, the interest rate are high. I'm not hearing that anymore. Right. So people, I think it's kind of getting normalized already. And I think that's what happened last year is that there was that shock. And then yep. there was, so now we, we're kind of done the adjustment period. And right. now the, the, the people, the investors and the buyers are kind of like, okay, yeah, that's, that's fine. I mean, we just, uh, is it going to go down? Is it going to go up? Now, it's, I think it's going to kind of go sideways. I agree. Down, up and yeah. down. I, you know, just like just like you had a shock when when they, when they the rates were really, really low and this spike in more new mortgage applications and new buyers, yeah. you know, when, when, when rates did rise, you had that shock on the downside as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but it's just overreaction, you know, yeah. and, and then, and I agree with you. Now, I think we're starting to see it kind of level out. I think we're going to go sideways for a little while. I do ultimately see, you know, after that period of sideways, I do ultimately see rates starting to drop, um, you know, yeah. in the near future. I, I wouldn't say within the next three to six months, but I think definitely the next eight to 12 months, you're going to start seeing the Fed cutting. I think you're going to that which, uh, you know, in the 10 year Treasury dropping, which is then going to going to spill over into the interest rates dropping. Yeah, but the, the interesting thing is that, yeah, the Fed is going to drop. But right now we've seen we're seeing a disconnect between the Fed rate and the mortgage. Right. I agree. Yep. In November, the Fed increased the uh, the their rate, and the mortgage and went mortgage down. Yeah, exactly. A couple of weeks ago, same thing. It's just yep. like so. There's a little bit of a it's a disconnect. It's not a, and people are looking at the headline. Oh yeah, the Fed increased their rate and thinking that oh mortgage rate also went up. No, well, that's a down. Right, and that's that 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 leads to a great point is that most people actually think mortgage interest rates are tied to the Fed funds rate, and yeah. it's not. 
That's you know, right. and, and again, I, it's about it's it's education. You know, it's it's tied to that ten year treasury, yeah. not the actual Fed funds rate. And so, you know, people, I think people overreact to a, to an interest rate hike, yeah. thinking that you know their mortgage is going to go through the roof and sky high, and and it's just it's, it, it, there's not that connection. Yeah, the Fed rate is much more tied to like the the consumer rate. So like you know, credit cards, credit card or consumer. If you want to buy a car, personal loan, car loan, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Then, uh, that's going to affect that. There's a much closer uh, direct relationship uh, there, yeah. but not so much on the mortgage. So you have to look at a, a website, kind of like uh, bankrate. Bankrate. Yep. And then kind of look at, is it .com or .org? Yeah, it's bankrate. No, it's bankrate.com. Yeah. .com, yeah, yeah. So, and then you can really see what's happening and look at the trends on, um, you know, on the mortgage rate. Absolutely. Yeah. So that, this, this is all good. Uh, so, yeah. So I think that the, 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 the mindset has been, it's kind of like been reset. The expectation, I think is a little bit, is a little bit different about this year. Yep. We also have like, low low unemployment i mean the you can't have more unemployment than that right uh, so so even if the unemployment goes up uh that's fine we haven't seen and I, and I think we're expecting it to go up a little bit but again i, I think we're gonna have a much softer landing than yeah. than anyone has been you know than most people have been saying yeah um, and, and like i said i've been saying it for a while just because you know being and I think you can probably, you would agree, being hands-on on a daily basis, especially in the real estate industry, it gives you a much better pulse on, on what yeah. the economy is doing as a whole, because we're dealing with people, right? We're dealing with tenants, we're, we're dealing with mortgage rates, we're dealing with lenders, we're yeah. dealing with sellers. So we, I think we have a much better pulse on what's actually happening out there versus what the news stations are telling you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, I agree with that. And I speak with a lot of investors and I, I kind of know what their concerns are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. We'll, so yeah. We'll, and I've seen a lot of investors, you know, especially, you know, over the last 12 months really pull back because, yeah. they, because they were, again, they were, they were worried about interest rates. That's right. And I'm like, we're going to double down. Like that's our opportunity to, to, to get, to get ahead of everyone else. Yeah. You know, okay. So we're paying a percent higher or a percent and a half higher than we would before anyways. Mm. But as you know, you make money when you buy the real estate, not when you sell it. And so, you know, we just make sure we buy it right to offset that, that, that little bit of difference. Um, but when it comes to a single family and, and section eight and affordable housing, yeah. I mean, you can cash flow is so good that that extra percent, yeah. percent and a half isn't going to make a difference. Yeah, and cash flows compared to a, a multifamily or it's like yeah. they, don't, they don't even cash flow. Right, yeah. right. Exactly. I mean, we're lucky on some of our multifamily. If we cash oh. flow per door, you know, yeah. after all expenses, debt, everything like that, if we cash flow 200 bucks a month, we're like ecstatic, right? Yeah, yeah. Say, yeah. <laughs> but our but on our single family and our affordable housing, I mean, we're cash flowing net, 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 seven hundred bucks per door. Wow. You know, and so you can't compare the two. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, so that, that, per, yeah. that percent interest rate hike doesn't make a difference. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's, I think that's a great comment. Anything else that you're seeing on the, uh, on the market or stuff like that? I mean, I think that from the investor's perspective, because the interest rate is a little bit higher, the cash flow has been squeezed a little bit. We were getting sure. better cash flow before, but I think you have to have, as an, as an investor, you have to have a longer term vision. And the cash flow increases over time. Again, the, the exactly. The same. And right. then, 
the other expenses are kind of like you know going uh, up at the same time but your rent yeah is yeah well exactly your rent's increasing year over year as well so your cash flow is going to continue to increase and again i think that's people people getting bogged down in the weeds a little bit more yeah um you know and too focused on something that really in the grand scheme of things isn't going to matter you yeah. know if you're fixing and flipping yeah you're going to be much more interest rate sensitive obviously because uh, and market sensitive and economy sensitive because you have to do it in such a short timeline so that you don't yeah. fall victim to you know a, a massive economic shift uh, yeah. or interest rate hike but but for the long i mean real estate's a long-term game let's let's be honest and so oh, for yeah. a long-term investor you you know okay, so you're paying a little bit higher interest rate, but long-term it's going to, it's going to work itself out, you know? And, and so, you know, the other thing too, is I I tell people shop your lenders, you know, we're we're constantly shopping our lenders. You know, we were, we were closing properties in the 9% range, 10% range. We found a new lender. We're closing at 7.10, 7.25 now on, on, you know, private capital, private investment capital. So, you know, that, that's a percent higher than, you know, what you can get on a 30 year fixed residential for your primary, for your primary residence. Yeah. You know, that's, so you always got to be looking at, you know, what's out there in the marketplace. Don't get so stuck yeah. with one lender um, and so focused on something that in the grand scheme of thing is going to work itself out. Yeah. Cause a lot of the lender, I mean, they're in the business, right? So, so they have, every lender is a, is a little bit different. They have different capital sources, Yep. They have different requirements from that perspective. Yep. And then they want to, you know, invest it. And then the other option, if they don't invest it in you, they have to, they're going to put it like, it they're not going to get the money from the, their source, their equity partners. Right. Or they're going to have to put it, if you're looking at a bank, they're going to put it in what a, a 10-year bond or something like that. Right. So that's kind of like what's what's going on. I mean, they have to do, they have to do something with the money or... Right. You know, they're not getting the returns that they, they're looking right. for. Uh, so, and every lender is in different situations. So sure. you're going to have some lenders that are going to charge. I mean, we have some that are, they're charging like three points, right. and, and, you know, 7.5%. And then we have other lenders that are charging like one point and 10%. Uh, right. you know, uh, yeah. Not 10%, but uh, 7%. So it's just the kind of like, you see the difference in, um, so shop, shop the rate. Talk yep. to multiple lenders and get the best rates that you can get. Yep, absolutely. All right. So, Matt, uh, we're about to uh, wrap up here. Any, if uh, people want to reach out to you, they want to reach out to Sim Capital, um, yep. get more information. So, can, how can they reach out to you? So, you can find me um, uh, online, social media. If you go to Instagram, realmattsimmons.com. Um, just remember, my first name is only spoke with one T. Um, and uh, you can check out Sim Capital, our website. Just go to simcapital.com. Um, if you're having a little bit of issues with that, which we just noticed hopping on here, just make sure you type in www yeah. uh, ahead of that, but I'll, <laughs> I will have our tech team look into what's yeah. going on there. Um, uh, but yeah, just check us out simcapital.com. You can check out our offerings, check out, uh, learn a little bit more about us, um, sign up for our investor portal, see what we have going on right now and, uh, you know, get you all the information you need. Great. Excellent. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it, Eric. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.